So the topic that we are uh, touching on today is procrastination. All right, so a biblical perspective on procrastination. This is being an area that is, um, I don't know if I can say dear to my heart, <laughs> but an area that I have struggled and every now and then the old habits are a temptation for me. Um, I, so if you don't have the notes, I think in the back, Caitlin printed, uh, so you can follow, uh, you know, when I'm talking, um, you can take a minute to go there and pick up the notes for you. So anyways, um, I, I put there a little uh, cartoon conversation of two students after like what looks like a spring break or, you know, and says, so did you get any work done over the holiday break? Oh yeah, with no one to distract me, I was super productive. And then he goes on to, I, I archived my email, cleaned my desktop, I fixed my squeaky office chair and turned the lab coffee machine into optimal production. And then his friend looks at him, did you get any real work done? Well, to my sense of guilt, it's all the same. And I would say procrastination has been um, something, in my experience in school, um, you know, both in pharmacy school and even in seminary, after every spring break, this is the kind of conversation that we would hear again and again and again. And if I can say, really, in counseling, most of the times um, when people come for counseling, this is not the main thing, but that is kind of a sign thing that you also have to deal with. And, and really, it's all about learning to be faithful stewards of what God has given us. And so let's take some time to pray and ask that the Lord will um, direct our, our talk today and um, will glorify his name. All right. Gracious Father, thank you so much for this morning and the ability for us to come and study your word and, and reflect on this topic of procrastination. I pray, Father, that it will be an encouragement to all of us um, that we know that in one way or another we tend to put off things. And I pray, Father, that we would be learning and understanding our own hearts why we do the things that we do. And that we may find, Lord, um, hope for change in your word and a good motivation, which is to honor and glorify you. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I will start a little bit here with uh, how, how does the psychotherapy, you know, psychology world sees procrastination? I did that for my thesis and kind of comparing with the biblical worldview. You will find hundreds of books out there to, to deal with procrastination. Uh, Non-Christian books, Christian books, and some of them integrating both worldviews together. Um, and and I, I find that we need a solid foundation to deal with this topic. For one, um, if you, this is an area that people can become quite effective and they can do behavioral change and become more self-centered people actually, instead of, of glorifying God with their time. They can be quite productive and be considered quite successful to this world 
and yet not being glorifying God with their time because it's all for self-pursuits. So, but I, I do think it is important. It's one of those areas that you see that by common grace, unbelievers can come to really good conclusions. Not perfect, not as God's word does, but you will find some areas of commonality. Definitions. So to procrastinate according to the Webster Dictionary is to put off from day to day, to delay, to defend, to defer to a future time, um, to delay or to be dilatory. The act of procrastination um, as putting off to future time. Now, um, most psychologists agree that not all kinds of all kinds of delay is considered procrastination. Uh, they define it as a needless voluntary delay um, as being the most best definition for it. So Dr. Joseph Ferrari, acclaimed scholar in this field, has focused for over 20 years his career on the study of procrastination, defines it as the purpose the purposeful delay of the starting or completing a task to the point of subjective discomfort. So he simply simplifies the concept in this way. People procrastinate, they do not work on the tasks, and as a result, they feel bad. There is anxiety and regret from their delaying tactics. Dr. Timothy Pickle it's another expert in this area. He says procrastination is the voluntary delay of an intended action despite the knowledge that this delay may harm the individual in terms of task performance and even just how the individual feels about the task uh, on him or herself. So Dr. Pickle believes that not all delays are procrastination. Um, actually, he comes up with this explanation, say it is wise to put out things uh, at times, rather than uh, act impulsively or hastily. And I think which we would agree with that. We want to be cautious when taking actions that might not dishonor the Lord, and you don't want to be hasty. If anyone delays to gather more information or postpones a decision because he or she needs to do something important before the target act, then these strategies are not procrastination. And it says... The delays are a necessary part of our lives, and the definition should focus more on the motive for not procrastinating, or for procrastinating. Why is someone reluctant to act um, when it's their, in their best interest? Um, so it is a habitu habitual practice of delaying, basically. That's what, how they define it. Um, one thing that I thought interesting is that they defined it as a, cro a chronic condition, um, it's a complex, maladaptive personality tendency. <laughs> so it, it's a matter of personality. Um, I would say if, if this is a matter of personality, so all Brazilians are considered procrastinators because that's who we are. You know, we don't get in time. We need to be 15, time, 15 minutes later. That's the, the practice. <laughs> I'm not endorsing it, but it is what Brazilians do. It is considered chronic because of its relationship to negative mental health outcomes with greater stress and many symptoms of physical illness. So a variety of symptoms and visits to healthcare professionals. They say it is highly associated with uh, levels, high levels of stress and anxiety, weak impulse control, lack of persistence, lack of work discipline, lack of 
management skill, and an inability to work methodically. It's almost like you have this one thing hanging in your, in your head, and I put there the, you're receiving the visit of a procrastination muse with all these thoughts. Well, you look tired, and you just, you just need to take a nap. Let's take a nap. Or well, think so much clearer after a run, don't forget to call your mother. Oh, you need to do these dishes right, right now? Do you really? <laughs> so all these thoughts running through uh, people's head. Now, Dr. Ferrari has established uh, through two comparative studies that there are different types of procrastinators. There's the ones that he calls the arousal procrastinate, uh, procrastinators. They're the individuals that tend to delay their task completion in order to increase arousal. What does that mean? It's a sensation-seeking experience to get a thrill for working pretty close to the deadline. In other words, they tend to wait to work on tasks close to the deadline in order to experience an excitement or a rush that they get from beating the clock. Then we have a second category that is called the avoidant procrastinators. Those are the individuals that seek to delay their task in order to not reveal potential character flaws such as a lack of ability motivated by avoidance. Avoidant procrastinators tend to evade cognitively demanding situations and are inconsistent when working on tasks potentially because of low, so this is, I'm quoting them, I don't agree with it, because of low self-confidence and self-esteem. They think too low of themselves, they think they're going to do poorly, they're going to do bad, that's why they don't even try. Then later, they created this third category, and they label this as decisional procrastinators. Or simply indecision, which emphasize more the cognitive aspect of procrastinator other than the behavior aspect. This category focuses on individuals who delay decision-making situations by doing other tasks. I just can't decide what to do, so I'm going to pick to do nothing or do something else instead that will take my mind off of it. So this new term traces back to an Australian study that utilizes one to five self-reporting scale assessments. The participant would respond how true these statements are for themselves. So here, here are they. I waste a lot of time on trivial matters before getting to the final decision. Even, if I'm, even after I make a decision, I delay acting upon it. Three, I don't make decisions unless I really have to. Four, I delay making decisions until it's too late. And then five, I put off making decisions. I'll put a little cartoon there so you can amuse yourself with that example of decisional procrastination. So at a more practical level, they have developed tools, um, the thought process or rationalizations that procrastinator, procrastinators might use to excuse their behavior. Um, so Tuckman, he wrote this learning and motivation strategies, and he came up with a list of rationalizations. So it's kind of interesting, you know, um, when I'm counseling, I talk about Romans 13, 14, do not make provision for the flesh, right, um, so that you might not gratify its desires. Uh, we're called to renew our minds and our thoughts. Part of that is knowing the rationalization, the excuses that you use. And so um, getting people to know that, and I think that's one of the things that psychology does well. I don't endorse it, 
is that they listen. Where are the excuses? Where are the things that people are thinking about when they do these things? So this guy came up with this list, um, and I think it is helpful to hear. Um, I don't think you need the list, <laughs> but this is some of the things that you will hear, and he put a category for them. So we hear someone saying, uh, the excuse is ignorance. I didn't know I was supposed to do that. Two, um, it's skill deficiency. I don't know how to do this. Apathy. I really don't want to do this. Apathy too. It really doesn't make any difference if I put this off. Apathy. Um, no one really cares whether I do this or not. Another one is, I need to be in the mood, and I am not. Fixed habits. Uh, but I always done in this way, and it is hard to change. Now the fixed habit is, I know I can pull this out at the last, time, last minute. I work better under pressure. Uh, that was me. It's so effective. <laughs> Inertia. I just can't seem to get it started. Frail memory. I just forgot about it. Physical problems. I couldn't do it. I was sick. Well, and, and I will, you know, give, give a, a, a comment here. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.14 talks about us knowing what kind of people you're, you're counseling or you're encouraging, right? You, you treat them differently. You exhort the idol. You, how about we go there? 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. Um, part of it is being sensitive to the circumstances that the person might be going through. It might be that they're feeling sick and they actually can't do the things that they're supposed to do. So 4, 514, uh, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, you confront them. And another word for unruly is idle, the idle person. Encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak and be patient with everyone. Um, sometimes you have to do all of this with the same person, <laughs> that they have sin to be confronted, but they also have some suffering in their lives that they're experiencing that is making it really hard for them to do things. So we're patient with them all. All right, so going back to the excuses. Um, appropriate delays, they say, I'm just waiting for the best time to do it. Appropriate delays, I need time to think this through. And lastly, this other opportunity will never come again, so I can't pass it up. They do something else. Now, they also noticed that their association of procrastinations with different disorders. Um, it is a very common um, issue. Studies reveal that 20% of the population struggle with procrastination in one way or another. Um, it is a complex issue. It includes behavioral, emotional, and cognitive components. And, but it's not seen as, like, as a psychiatric disorder. Um, you know, I looked through the DSM back and forth. It wasn't there. But they did have some association with different disorders. For instance, um, there is a lot of, to do with personality disorders, um, and one of them that would have similarities with the procrastinators. For instance, the avoidance of occupational activities, 
reluctance to personal risks or engage in new activities is found as a symptom of avoidant personality disorder. Uh, difficulty in making everyday decision needs others to assume responsibility for most major areas in their lives uh, or difficulty initiating projects or doing things on their own. They're dependent on other people and therefore they have this thing called dependent personality disorder. Then you have those that are preoccupied with details, with rules and lists and order and organizations and schedules to the detriment of major activities. Perfectionism that interferes with a task completion. Reluctancy to delegate tasks or to work with others unless they submit to their strict way of doing things. That is, my friend, obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Some therapists also say uh, the association of these traits goes beyond the disorders, these personality ones, and there is high um, connection with chronic anxiety. People that are anxious about things, they get paralyzed, or people with depression, um, with clinical depression. So why do I bring all of this? Um, well, I think we need to know that this, the world understands um, these, these ways as a, as a failure in a personality. Um, and I think um, we all have our sinful tendencies, right? James chapter 1 talks about what that dangling thing in our heart that is enticing us is different for every person. So we have our own temptations, our own inclinations. My concern with the reading um, books that are secular on this matter is there is an exaltation of self. Uh, the whole thing about self-esteem is just have to love yourself better, then you will do things better. Yeah, you might just become a, a more self-righteous sinner that does things better, that accomplish things, um, and you know you might even gain the entire world with your new working habits and work ethic, and yet, at the end of their life, be asked, you know, today, the Lord is going to request your soul, and what have you done? And so, we need to focus on the scripture uh, for these things. I do think it is interesting that, you know, I'm, I didn't put in there, but they have all these theories. Why do people procrastinate? Uh, some days, well, they just have a weak will in their lives. They just have difficulty in planning. And there's this one area of psychology called moral psychology where they, they think this is a moral problem. People need to be held accountable for their patterns, which I thought was interesting. They're not saying, oh, it's just a disease or a symptom of a disease. No, people are accountable for what they do for their patterns. So much so that even the treatments they're offered, cognitive behavioral therapy and acceptance behavioral therapy is, is basically you're teaching them to think straight, to act on that behavior. But that doesn't cause any heart change, does it? Well, what does the Bible talk about then? about procrastination. So let's see some of um, what it, the passages that the scripture mentions. And I'm not going to read all of them, 
hopefully you will have some time to ask questions and interact with some of these things here. The way that I prepared this class was I knew that I couldn't cover everything in one lecture. So um, today what we're going to do is we need to identify the heart motivations behind it and to look at this issue as through God's lenses. Um, so the focus of this lecture will be on that. Next week, we'll see, okay, now how the Bible helps us to get out of that vicious cycle of doing things, right? Okay, so let's jump right in. The term procrastination or procrastinator is not found in the Bible. <laughs> You're going to look the pages again and again, and you won't find that. Yet, yeah, scriptures often describes the one who has difficulty starting or maintaining work as a sluggard or the slav. He is someone characterized by a steady attitude of slothfulness or idleness. And Proverbs is really one of the books that talks about it the most. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Now, um, just as a side comment, um, whenever we are dealing with these issues, I, I think there's always grace. You know, people, uh, they are struggling with the things they have tried and tried and tried and, and can't get out of that cycle. And so we want to give grace that, yes, they, are, they might be sinning, and potentially they are sinning, um, but there's also suffering involved with that. There's guilt that comes with it. There is a sense of failure um, that they have to deal with, and, and the Lord gives grace. And so we should also give grace. He's patient with us. He's tolerant with us, and he forgives us. But um, because the language that you will see is very strong, and sometimes I think people need to hear that strong language to have that wake-up call Boy, look at how the Bible describes you. Um, Proverbs 6, how about someone that read that for us? Proverbs 6, um, verse 6 through 10. All right, thank you, Aaron. This passage is a personal call to uh, an individual to consider the natural, diligent work of an ant. It is a personal call to avoid a way of foolishness, of their own impulsivity and recklessness to become and to be admonished by the example of a little tiny animal who is diligent. The ant does not need a supervisor or a prodder to push it to work. It knows the times to be more productive in the times they are necessary, the summer and the harvest. Acknowledging there are times that have limited resources, such as the winter. It knows exactly to save for the future. So the author of the book makes a call to the slugger to open their eyes from their sleep and to see their ways will lead to ruin like a thief in the night. An interesting concept to grapple with for procrastinators who way too often minimize the extent of the impact of their behavior for the th important things in life. Other passages describe this sluggard as a lazy person and the one who refused to work, and all these verses you can look up at home. 
Uh, they love to stay in bed when they should be up and active. They often make excuses to avoid work. And um, what, some of the ones that we're going to read here, Proverbs 13, 4, um, their desires are not met. Um, Proverbs 13, 4, someone can stand up and read that one for us. 13, 4, and then 20, um, chapter 20, verse 4. All right. Thank you, Tim. And then the last one there is 21, uh, 25, and 26. Chapter 21, and we're looking at 25 and 26. Somebody else? So, the desire of the sluggard per- puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. All day long he's craving, while the righteous gives and does not hold back. So this one in particular, I want to make some observations here. Is that um, this phrase, the desire of the sluggard, features a subject. Um, so it's a, that word is specifically the desire and craving in Hebrew. The ta'avat is a, a deep craving. Um, which means that it is not the object of the craving itself that will destroy the sluggard in, in the Hebrew here. Uh, studying it, I realize that this is not what's going to destroy them, is not the craving itself, but what will destroy him, it's what the craving causes him not to do. They crave it, but that is keeping them from doing what they need to do. The lazy come to ruin because he desires the easy way out, the life of comfort and ease, and he would like to enjoy the fruits of that that only work can produce without making the effort to get them. So I'm going to repeat this. He would like to enjoy the fruits that only work can produce without making the effort to get them. So I want, I'm craving, I really want this. Consequently, there is a point in time when the slothful becomes irrational because of his cravings. The, conti- the continual pursuit of personal desires takes one on a journey of irrationality. When people go against sound judgment to rationalize their cravings. So Proverbs 26, uh, verse 13 through 16, and I'm not going to read all of it. Um, 26, and we're looking at verse 13 through... Actually, how about we do read the whole thing? So there's a couple of things here. One is that they do anything to justify their behavior, right? It's some of those rationalizations that I even read before. Um, today, obviously, we don't have lions here laying on the streets. It's, I, I don't think anybody would make that claim here. But at that time in Israel, there were. But most of them or were in the jungle. They were not in the city. Um, the, his sluggard, I want you to pay attention there, he says that he's wiser in his own eyes than seven men with an answer that answers sensibly. His excuses sound ridiculous to everyone else, but to him, the problem of denial with a sluggard finds commonality with the fools um, that sluggards are wiser in their own eyes. It, it is pride at its core. I know better. I know better how to deal with my time. 
They cannot face things, especially they cannot face what they have become. The biblical author points out that the sluggard mind wants to act, but his hands refuse to work. And if they were paralyzed, as if they were paralyzed by a medical condition. Moreover, his whole life is that of an unsatisfied longing. All day long he craves and craves. The righteous man, on the other hand, is quite a contrast. He has been saved both from the sloth as well from the selfishness that underlines it. He works diligently and has, has enough not only to satisfy himself but to give to the poor. The sluggard is continually craving while the, righteousness, the righteous is continually giving and that without sparing. I think here is also an element that it's at the core of procrastination. It, it is selfishness. You're only thinking, this is my time, and I can do whatever with my time, what I want to do. He forgets that there is an impact on the life of others. When you pursue a life living for self, that would also impact others. Why, why did the righteous person is contrasted with the sluggard? And, and he's said to be giving. Well, because the slothful, the idle, they're only thinking about themselves and only taking. Taking their comfort, taking their time. They're not thinking about others. My main, uh, one of the, the things that I, I it came across, especially with secular counseling on this area, is that the focus is, oh, you, you ought to be, you to love yourself better, you're going to be a better uh, productive person, and it's all about self. On the Christian worldview, we don't live for self. We live for God. We live for God's glory. And we live for others. We are here to use our time not only to make money for ourselves, but also to share with those in need. Right? It was the question that I ask every time um, in, in, in some of these sessions is, when does a thief is no longer a thief? When, Kathy? When he stops stealing, the first half of the answer, that's that. <laughs> but according to Ephesians, mm -hmm. yes, so it's not just stopping the wrong behavior, it's working, but with a generous heart. A thief, he wants to take and take and take. It's all about self. Well, he could continue that mentality, but working with his own hands and make heaps of money. But he didn't change his heart until he stops with that mentality. It's for me. It's from me, by me, and to me. Now he's doing, I'm going to do this not only for myself, but because I want to be generous toward others. And I think that same mentality should apply to procrastination. Yes, we might be you know, stealing our time and not using our time properly. But when we start working not only for our own benefit or studying for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. That is a change of heart because I'm not being self-focused anymore. Most of the times, laziness can be evident, but um, as discussed previously by, um, there was a, a little booklet, Procrastination by Henniger. And this for me was an interesting concept because we think about the lazy people like, in Proverbs, right? Oh, they're just sleeping. That's all they do. I don't think that was me. I was always tired and I was doing a bunch of things. So when I read this concept, I was like, oh, okay. Yes, I'm a procrastinator, even though I'm not 
laying around, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter three, verse 11. Second Thessalonians 3:11. And I want you to pay attention in one little word there. Someone can read it for us. Second Thessalonians chapter three. All right, so the word I want you to look there is the busybodies. It describes a group of idlers um, who were not pulling their weight in this young church at Thessalonians. They were, this word busybodies in Greek, um, the, it basically means it's a compound word between the verb meaning to work and the preposition around. So they work around. The second part of the verse could be translated literally, such people do not work at all, instead they work around. That description seems to be more inclusive for those who struggle with procrastination. It is helpful to understand it's not sinful not only to think, say, desire what is wrong, it is also sinful to not to speak, to think, to desire what is right. So they're busy, they're, they're busybodies, right? They're doing things that it's not the main thing that the Lord requested them to do, but they're doing something else. They're getting busy with something else they're not supposed to be busy with. Some of these people were just gossiping, going from house to house, um, and you know, not doing the tasks that they were required to do. I think it is helpful when we compare this way of thinking even with James 4.17, is that broadens the spectrum of who was a procrastinator. James 4.17 says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. So this is a very helpful concept, identifying the sin of idleness. Laziness, almost by definition, is knowing to, what, to do the right, thing, to, the right thing to do and failing to do it or failing to do it persistently. As a counselor puts it, a lazy person's life is necessarily full of sins of omission. The sins of commission is the ones that God told us to do, things that God told us to do and we don't do it. The sins of omission is we don't um, do the things that God asks us to do. We omit it. So Dr. Lupriolo makes a good summary of these descriptions on a chart reproduced below, and I want you to take a look at it. Um, and compares the slothful steward uh, with a faithful steward. And really, this is kind of the, um, the key word. And God has entrusted us with time, with resources, and we are stewards of that. A slothful steward um, is like a vinegar to the teeth and a smoke to the eyes. So is the lazy to, want to those who sent them. They, they, they're irritating to other people because they always have to be prod to do things. And them not doing their task means that someone might have to pick up their slack. Um, but a faithful steward, like the cold of snow in the time of harvest, is a faithful messenger to those who sent him. They, they do things immediately. The slothful steward is an expert, an expert in making excuses. The faithful steward does not make excuses. Um, the slothful steward does not take care of personal possessions. They're reckless with what the Lord has entrusted to them, which is different than the faithful one. He refuses responsibility. 
the faithful steward is entrusted with additional responsibility. That's why sometimes people struggle, oh, I have not been very successful in my career. I haven't been progressing. Well, that's the principle of being a good steward. You know, if you are diligent in the work that you do, guess what? People will notice and they'll, they'll give you more responsibilities and they'll push you to a next level. A um, uh, slothful steward does not only uh, does only what he wants to do. The faithful does what he is supposed to do. The slothful tends to be a busybody or work around with other things. They get busy with a lot of things, but not with the things that are supposed to be busy with. Um, a faithful steward to keep a secret. And I think he's referring here to the fact that. You know, the busybodies in Thessalonica was just gossiping and using their time for uh, going around. And they will likely end up in poverty, according to Proverbs 6, 9 through 11. But the faithful one will be a blessing. Now, let's get to the meaty part of it. This is my favorite. Any questions, comments so far? All right, let's go to, to then to the understanding the heart motivations behind idleness. A big part of understanding the motivations behind our actions is asking very good open questions. Um, be very difficult for someone to break a pattern of procrastination without being able to clearly respond the question, why do I keep putting things off? And I mean, I'm not talking about the you know, the rationalizations, there are, um, it is helpful for you to know what you rationalize, but what, what is the reason behind it? Improving one's time management skills is, sim- is not simply a behavioral change. So reordering someone's priority, they need to understand what is behind of their lack of motivation. So here's some questions that you could ask. What are some tasks that you tend to avoid that will help you understand what, what is difficult for them? Because they are, might not be procrastinators in all areas of their lives. There are things they're quite diligent. And so I, I think even for us not to be defined in one box, you know, oh, I am a procrastinator. I'm a lazy person. No, you might be lazy in one area, but very diligent in others. So what are the things that you tend to avoid and why these and not others? That will cue you in in what are their priorities. What do you believe to be the priorities in your life? If I had a chance to monitor your week, what activities I could say were your priorities? Oh, I think this is very important to me. Well, let me look at your schedule and see. Oh, actually, it tells me that you have some other priority. <laughs> the most, the bulk of your time you spend doing this and not that. What are some things that you allow to interrupt your productivity? What are your distractions? Then, do you have any particular fears that prevent you from getting things done? You know, you might hear from people saying, well, I'm, I, I'm afraid that I'm going to fail this. I'm just not good enough. I, I'm afraid that I'm not going to meet the deadline. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. So fears tend to point to our heart motivations. The things that we want, we fear to lose. What are some hobbies or activities that get you upset when you are not able to to do them for a reason, right? 
distractions. Could it be that these things that you are pursuing might be an idol for you? And then, um, if Christ returned today, what do you think he would say about the use of your time? What are some activities that you think he would probably be pleased? Would that be some um, that he were say that he would say weren't very profitable? So these questions might cue you in in some of the idols. I'm going to give three potential motivations or idols that people might have that stop them from um, being faithful stewards. Like that pastor Phil Moser wrote a little booklet, and I I have it here if you want to see it. I think our library has it as well. Very practical. Um, One is fear of man. The unwise steward is fearful. These are the people that are normally anxious about, they also struggle with anxiety. Pride is the over, overconfident, optimistic that he's prideful. Or it's lawfulness, which is simply, um, you know, this poor planner, they're just lazy and they love comfort and pleasure. So we want to be wise because our hearts are deceiving, Jeremiah 17, 9, right? And it's difficult to understand many times all these three motivations will be at work. And even other idols might be teaming up in the heart to make a person neglect what they are doing. So pride. Pride is known to be the mother of all sins, as C.S. Lewis um, well stated. So many sins it revolve around this one bitter reality. We love ourselves too much to love God as we ought. Even though for procrastinators, pride might be can be manifested in many ways, the most common manifestation is a presumption on the future, a presumption on the future. Particularly those who presume on their abilities and enjoy the rush of getting things done in the last minute. They tend to work under the prideful assumption that they will have enough time tomorrow to do what they were not able to get done today. Although they, although not vocalized, you won't hear people saying those things necessarily, they work on the presumption that they are entitled to have another day with new and better opportunities. It's going to be better tomorrow. It's going to be easier to do than today. Scriptures give us a strong exhortation when we presume that we have a tomorrow. Open your Bibles to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. I think this is a passage that we normally don't think of it as procrastination, right? We think about it in the pride. Or planning without the Lord's um, permission or having the Lord in the picture. So James is at the end there, your Bible, chapter 1, uh, chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Someone found it, they can read it. All right, we can't guarantee that we have another day on this earth. Um, to keep putting things off and to assume that you're going to have that day, that you assume that you're giving more opportunities and better opportunities, um, it's quite prideful. Here we can also identify those who boast on their ability of getting things done last minute. They procrastinate because it will give them the joy of being acknowledged as the one who gets away with being late. 
So different people have different motivations. It's all pride, but it's different for every person. They do not acknowledge that God in his grace was the one that made them able to get things done to begin with. So they had past good experiences. I was able to get it done last minute, so I'm going to presume that I'm going to have the same thing done again. Instead of humbly depending on God to get their tasks done, they either lean on the gift of tomorrow or on the efficacy of their own abilities. Their procrastination only increases their pride. They, care, they get caught in a pattern of getting closer and closer to the deadline because they can look back to all the time they got away with being late. Instead of humbly acknowledging God's mercy and not giving which they deserved for their recklessness, they continue to presume on his grace. You know, it was all God's grace that you were able to get that thing done last minute. Instead of acknowledging that, they believe they can just wing it once again because they're good enough to do it last minute. All right, now there's another motivation for that. And the second one is the fear of man, a fear of man. Fear of man is a broad term used to describe those who either are overly dependent on others to get things done or those who are paralyzed by others, other people's expectations or their own expectations based on what they believe to be acceptable to others. So it's not necessarily they're thinking, oh, so-and-so is going to evaluate my work, um, so I'm afraid of what that person is going to think. It could be that um, they're just thinking, oh, most people believe this to be more acceptable. So these expectations that I have on myself, that I think others have, this is what paralyzes me. Here we find those who have a hard time making decisions, those who avoid beginning a task or continue a task due to the fear of not meeting the expectations of others. This, this passage for me was very enlightening. Matthew chapter 25, this is the parable uh, Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. We're well familiar with this parable, right? That the Lord gave different amount of talents or coins to these different stewards. And one of them, the Lord calls him lazy. Wait a minute, lazy? Yeah, the Lord entrusted him with the talents and he didn't do anything with it. But what is the motive for his laziness? He reveals in his response. Um, I'm not going to read the whole text, but verse 24, after, you know, the, the Lord gave the, the reward for those who were faithful, and they said, well done, good and faithful steward. Um, you were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter in the joy of your master. Interesting, that principle of increased responsibility, right? If you're faithful with one little thing, you're going to be entrusted with a little more and with a little more. But then with the unfaithful servant, the one who had received one talent came up to the master and he said, what? Master, I knew you to be hard man, a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. And I was what? afraid. I was afraid. That's why I didn't do anything, because I was afraid. And went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. 
So here we find those who are afraid of being criticized for their work or being publicly shamed for a task. For example, getting a bad grade in a paper. Fear of man is also what drives those who struggle with perfectionism. Those who feel like because they cannot do something of great quality, according to others or their own personal standards, they get stuck on overthinking or spending an inordinate amount of time planning something with great detail before they can get it started. And I never made that connection myself. I was like, well, what? Am I a perfectionist? But I don't think my work is that good. Why am I a perfectionist? Well, because I have these high standards and they're so high that I cannot get it done. So you, you see there, you'd never expect that, that that's what is motivating, is that fear of making something that is, making something that is not good enough. I put a little cart in there, it says, I want to be so successful that it, it ruins my life. People's expectations are at the forefront of their minds. It is not wrong to want some, to do something acceptable or of good quality or praiseworthy. The problem is when the focus of that praise is on us and not on God. God never asked us to do things perfectly. He is perfecting us. He requires us to be faithful. You know, being faithful for one person might look very different than being faithful to another person. Some might have better abilities than others, and some might be more successful in one area than others. God asks faithfulness from each of us. It is easy to get in a cycle of pleasing others as we work. Anyone can attest, attest that there is an added pressure of doing better when under the supervision of others. But God's word warns us against this trap. Colossians 3:23 says, "Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically, as something done for the Lord and not for man." So, lastly, last motivation here which I would say is the most common <laughs> is uh, a desire for comfort or pleasure. A slothful motivated procrastinator is someone who is easily distracted and has relaxation and comfort as a high priority for their lives. They tend to avoid hard work or work around the most difficult tasks. There are those who tend to be short-sighted. They could care less about their future. They only be focused on the pleasure of the moment, which is preventing them from engaging the activities that matter the most um, at the moment. These would be pleasure seekers. On the other hand, there's also those who just want to avoid the discomfort of the difficult task. So they're the same idol is comfort, but the different size of that coin. One is pursuing that full throat, pursuing that comfort. And the other one is just avoiding the discomfort. I just don't like that this is hard, that this is challenging. This task is challenging. The thought of engaging something that will take them out of their comfort zone seems to be the chain that keeps them stuck. Um, it's interesting, normally people that have this problem, they tend to be, they have a lot of problems with other people, conflict with other people. Why? Because they don't like resolve, resolving conflicts. It makes them uncomfortable and they get away from it. They avoid to deal with the problems. 
We have a lot of unresolved issues with other people as well. This list, I say here, this list is by no means to cover every individual rationalization or motivation for procrastination. You'll be, um, any counselor will be careful to not be jumping to conclusions before they hear someone. We need God's word to discern our thoughts, you know, and that's what I encourage uh, my counselees to, to pray, God, just search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there are any grievous way and lead me in the everlasting way. I, I close here with a chart that I, I build up for my thesis. So, um, and I want you to see how to compare how a procrastinator thinks about the past and the present and their future, and how a scripture encourages us to, to look at this. So life, the life timeline from a procrastinator's perspective, they are wise in their own eyes, right? So their past, the procrastinator tends to overemphasize their personal achievement when they look at the past. They say, oh, I was just able to wing it in the past. I'm sure it will work it again. They're forgetful of God's past calling to salvation and sanctification, and they're forgetful of their past failures and hardly ever lean on their fiascos. All right? They tend to, oh, I, I was able to wing it. Well, how about all the other times that you weren't? <laughs> Have a proper perspective of the past, the present. More often, procrastinators live for the pursuit of pleasure and comfort than God's responsibilities. They tend to be feeling to be feeling oriented than faithful rather than faithful oriented. I just don't feel like doing this right now. At the time, they can be paralyzed by fear of failure based on perfectionism expectations. This is too difficult. I can't get it started. Poor judgment or inversion of priorities is also very common. It's okay to kill some little time right now. Their perception is that it is longer, their present is longer, even when they're encouraged by others to consider their time, they tend to rely on their own independent reasoning. They're wise in their own eyes. I know I have enough time, I just know it. How about the future? How do they see the future? Well, there is our immediate future, which is the tomorrow that the Bible talks about. In a procrastinator's mind, the tomorrow is certain. I will do it tomorrow. The tomorrow is presumed to be prosperous in a problem-free day. It will be easier to do it tomorrow. It is presumed to be abundant. I'll have more time to do it tomorrow. And then how about their view of the end of time's future, the you know, far distant future? More often than not, a procrastinator give, gives little or no thought to Christ's judgment seat. If their hope in Christ is limited to this time only, they are of all people to be most pitied. You know, Christ will one day ask us, how did you do with your time? And then what scripture tells us how we should look at these things? Well, when we look at our past, we are exhorted to remember our salvation and our sanctification was initiated by God. We should acknowledge that God's gracious providences to allow for, for past successes. It was God that allowed you to wing it at the last minute. 
and not to attribute that to our own ability. Deuteronomy 8, 17, 28 is a great exhortation to the people of Israel to say, you know, when you look at your past successes, don't take credit for it. Give the glory to the Lord. And then, from scripture perspective, our past foolish living can be accountable for in the present. And we might experience negative consequences of it in the present. We can look at the past and see that today we experience the consequences of it in order to be exhorted. First Corinthians 10 there gives that exhortation. Oh, you look at the past, learn from other people's mistakes, learn from your other mis- your all mistakes. Furthermore, we are exhorted not to rely too much in the past. Scriptures also says it is unwise to dwell on the good old days. Oh, it was so easier back then. It was so nice. And they keep thinking about that and thinking about that. And they forget that today is the day of opportunity. In the present, how about the present? The present is made by God and he has given us daily workable opportunities. Jesus said in John 9, 4, um, you know, there'll be night where you can't work. So you should work during the day, right? And he's talking about uh, a time when there'll come darkness in this world and we won't be here anymore. So we are given a period of time that is workable. Our present day is to be enjoyed responsibly, like a redeemed carpe diem, right? You, you enjoy it. God has given us time to rest as well. It's one of the things that I'll be touching next week, and I didn't explore a whole lot of my thesis, is that the Lord gave a Sabbath, right, for, for the Israelites. And even today, he has an appointed time for us to rest. Now, for the procrastinator, they just blend in the Sabbath with everything else. It's always Sabbath for them. It's always time, time to rest or time to do something else. So therefore, there's never a time to have unrestrained rest. Prioritize what God deems as priority. Matthew 6, seek the kingdom of God first, and all these things will be added to you. This is always possible because God never asks of us to do anything in the present that he has not enabled us to do. You know, I, I want you to go back and read that parable again, and I want you to note one thing. When the Lord gave the different talents, the different minors, he said that he gave to each one according to their own ability. So whatever task that the Lord has put in our lives today, he has enabled us to do. He didn't give us things that we weren't able to handle. And then immediate future. How should we look at it? Our tomorrows belong to God. He is the only one in control if we have another day. From the human standpoint, it is unknown and uncertain. It cannot be guaranteed, as, John, as James said. We can't guarantee that we'll have a tomorrow. Because each day has its own trouble, by default, the tomorrow can be presumed to be limited and to actually have more trouble than today, not less. And then the view of the end of times future, from the rapture to eternity, it is unpredictable. We cannot bank too much in the future because we can't predict it. It can happen at any time. Christ can come back even as we close this lesson right now. 
It is imminent, it is closer, closer than we think it is, Romans 13, 11. From God's standpoint, the day when the Son comes back is already fixed by the Father. Christ's judgment seat will be the time for accountability and rewarding for believers. There'll be a time for entering his rest that we can enjoy and not work that hard anymore. That will be rest before the Lord. When eternity comes, we will have all the time to enjoy all that is good in God. There'll be no more procrastination because there'll be no more limitations of time. And this, I, I want to finish with this um, reflection. Why do we struggle with how we handle our time? Because we're creatures limited by time. You know, um, when God made Adam and Eve perfect without sin in the garden, they had all the time in the world to work, and they had to work, and it wasn't a bad thing back then. They had all the time to work. They had all the time to enjoy creation, to have fun, and there was nothing sinful. I, I pray, you know, that we think on that thought, oh God, there'll be a day that will be eternal rest, and that work will be joyful again, and all these things will be a blessing. But right now, we need to learn how to improve our time. So, I leave a little thing there, a little chart. A person finds out, we, we found out, maybe got some of the root issues here. I think I see the problem, but let's tackle that tomorrow. Okay. To be continued, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word that give us um, clarity of our own thoughts and our own rationalizations. Lord, thank you for the gift of time, Lord. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to you. Pray, Father, that you would give us a heart of humility as we even look at some of these topics. And um, I'm excited, Lord, to next week see how you help us to break these sinful patterns. But I do pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters here that they may find encouragement in finding out that you have grace and forgiveness for those who ask. May they come clean before you, Lord, and bring in these motivations and rationalizations they have been putting as excuses in, in realizing that they are not worshiping you as the giver of time, but themselves. Pray, Lord, that there might be a place for grace and for change. In Jesus' name, amen.